Welcome to Moving Out of Trauma, a podcast made to support trauma survivors with actionable steps and resources so they can start moving out of trauma and into the life that they're craving. I'm the host, Candace Lederger, EMDR therapist, yoga teacher, first time mom, and dog enthusiast. I am here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am so excited about today's episode. But before we dive into today's episode of Moving Out of Trauma, I want to give you a few reminders. The first is that if you want to start practicing more mindfulness and incorporate more grounding skills in your daily life, but you've had some trouble getting started because of past trauma, I want to offer you a free trauma-informed beginner's guide to mindfulness workbook. I created this workbook with trauma in mind. You can get this free workbook as well as monthly updates about new content by heading over to soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast. You can sign up for our newsletter there and you will get this free workbook directly to your inbox that you can download as many times as you like and get updates when I update it as well. Again, that link is soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast. And a second reminder I want to give is at the end of this recording and the end of every episode for that matter, we will be giving you two resources that we often use in EMDR therapy, which are the container exercise as well as the state change place. So these exercises are visualization exercises that can help you transition from maybe a state of thinking about past trauma, awareness, learning something new into a more calm, more centered way of being so you can go on throughout your day. I hope these resources help and I would love to know your thoughts. All right, let's dive into today's episode. If you have been listening to this podcast and feeling like there is a certain topic or a certain professional that you might want to hear from, I invite you to voice that opinion. I am now looking into the next season of our podcast and developing an outline as to what I feel might be beneficial. However, the best way for me to do that is to know truly what's beneficial from the people that are listening. So I invite you to go to that same page, Soul Mission dash emdrtherapy.com slash podcast and there you will find a poll that you can take to provide that voice and you will receive a thank you email as well as be entered into a drawing to win a $50 Visa gift card. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and sharing your voice. I value all of your wisdom and all of your light. Today on Moving Out of Trauma, I have Sarah Payne, she, her, who, instead of being a provider like our typical norm on this podcast, is in fact a trauma survivor. And so she will be sharing a small piece of her story and her own path to healing. And the reason that we decided to do this is because it's so important in destigmatizing trauma because it is, it, everyone experiences some form of it. Too often people experience that trauma and feel a lot of shame. They feel 
alone in it. And it can be really stigmatizing. With all of that, I do want to be really clear that Sarah is going to be sharing her story on this episode, but it is not therapy. And Sarah is supported by her own therapist and is passionate about sharing her trauma healing journey as a huge advocate for mental health and destigmatizing trauma and helping others feel less alone. So again, as she shares her story today, please take care of yourself and what you need. And as always, there's the guided visualization exercises at the end of the recording, and you can find the exact timestamp in the show notes if you want to jump ahead to that at any point in time. So take care of yourself while listening to this today. This is a trigger warning or trigger piece for others to know. So that way Sarah can share her story and we can start peeling back the layers of destigmatizing trauma because nobody should have to deal with it alone. So thank you, Sarah, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's exciting. Yay, you're so welcome. So the first piece of the show is based off of a quote that I read that is still unbeknownst to me who the said it. So if anyone knows who said it, please tell me. But it's knowing a person is like music. What attracts us to them is their melody. And as we get to know them, we learn the lyrics. And yeah, I really enjoyed that that because it (laughs) just shows this complexity of who we are as people. And yeah, I thought that was a nice way to introduce like these different questions just to get to know more about you and who you are and where you're coming from to us. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you for having me. I guess I should just like go ahead and start my part now. Yeah. The first question, why are you passionate about spreading awareness surrounding mental health and trauma? Yeah. I love that question. When I was younger, I would say probably is this especially was important to me around like 20 years old at that point in my life. And I'm sure a lot of other people at 20 years old are, are very much in their own bubble. And so they see the world still through that rose colored lens, unless it's their own world. And I had moved to Florida and I had you know joined this community and I felt like such an outsider. I I felt like I was bringing all this baggage into this like perfect world and nobody knew about where I was coming from. So I was like constantly putting on this like good show for everybody, pretending that my life was so good and and perfect, Mm -hmm. just like I thought their life was. Mm -hmm. And as I got to know them more and as I got to know myself more, that mindset shifted. And I realized that so many people carry so much inside of them that we all seem to want to hide because we're ashamed of it and the funny thing is it's not ours to be ashamed of there's Mm. when I look at my story it was nothing I did so why is there a shame attached to it so it was very freeing to take that away and I would I just love to encourage others to do the same in fact I often will talk about little parts of my life with somebody if I can feel that there's something there just so then like I often find that they'll start to talk about it and then it just seems to be like oh okay I feel better like around this person more relaxed like there's a time and place but I love that you because I agree I feel like I call it like an insta bubble right like people Mm -hmm. live in this perception a lot of the times oh like their life is perfect or they've got it all together or why am I like this and it like turns it can turn into a little spiral of sorts and so really acknowledging hey no one is perfect and everyone experiences crap and like why aren't we talking about this like why isn't there an authenticity to it in the conversation going on 
which I'm sure in different pockets there are, right? There definitely is conversations going on, hence we're having one right now. Um, but just this this way of, of thinking about things and stepping out of that and starting to really truly um, live from who you are and also allowing the people around you, like even if it's somebody that you're just having a conversation with, like allowing them to be their authentic self too and whatever that comes with. Yeah. And what's crazy about that is I don't know when it started in, in history where you had to feel so much shame for like things that were out of your control. Like, why is that such a taboo thing? I, I've yeah. never understood. So well, yeah. yeah, so to this day it's man, I wasted a lot of years. Yeah. I think we all have. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. How does your personality show up in your healing process, like your healing journey as you as you just thought your own healing path. <laughs> so I think I've always been very much like a fighter. I don't know where, I think when I was young, I was a gymnast, like very young. Mm-hmm. So at an early age, I was like made to push through hard things to mm-hmm. get to that end goal. Essentially mm-hmm. the best thing that ever happened to me. I strongly recommend putting your kids in some kind of competitive sport. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was very <laughs> helpful for me. Sounds- truly. It truly was because that was a little bit before all of my like trauma truly started. So when it did come, I don't know, like I had already gained a certain level of a certain level of confidence. And that kind of was like the drive I think that I needed to, Mm. I don't know, like my whole life, I had always in my head, this dream of what my future would be like. It was never, I'm stuck in this. It was like, when I get to the point where I have the freedom to do this, I'm going to make the life I want. And it, that, that personality carried me through a lot. And I used to get in so much trouble for being so stubborn, but like (laughs) it was the best part of me really. But yeah, I truly think that it played a big factor and I'm I'm actually really grateful for that part of myself. I love that. Yeah. Like these uh, little nuggets of you allowed you to, to push through and um, to, to survive, like to get through what you need to get through. So you could really actually live your own life. Yeah. And what's crazy is it's amazing how strong the mind is. Cause mm-hmm. in my situation, as I'll tell a little bit later on, but everything was fighting against that thought mm-hmm. process. Like everything around me was telling me to be complacent and to, to do as I was essentially. And there was like something that's just now this is me. Mm-hmm. It's my own life. I do what I want to do yeah. <laughs> at a very young age. Yeah. I'm very grateful. I'm also have a tendency to be a bit controlling and that was actually very helpful. I now fight with that part of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, In a healthy dynamic. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But yeah, no, it was very, it was driving for me. Mm, I love that. What do you wish, what's like the top thing you wish everyone knew about trauma and healing from your perspective, like in what you've experienced? It, trauma is not an easy healing journey. And least bit, again, every part of your brain wants to fight it. Like we put up those defense mechanisms for a reason. So when somebody's here to help you with that, the natural instinct is to fight that. Mm. And I, I, like, luckily I was blindly jumped into therapy for many reasons, but hindsight, it was probably the hardest part of my life was getting that stuff. like started to sort out so that was really hard it's very hard and also trauma yeah it doesn't discriminate Mm -hmm. um and it is physically taxing on you too Mm -hmm. I think people forget that trauma plays a heavy factor on your physical health 
so that was one of my motivators for dealing with it. Cause I have Crohn's disease. So I was always told to get my stress under control. And at one point in my life, I was like, how do you do that? And I live in a life full of stress, but yeah, it, it, it plays a lot of factors. It is in every aspect of your life. And so therefore it's super important to work it out, but it's not easy. It never is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I want to thank you for bringing that up because I feel like that's also something that's not talked about enough. Like I feel like people are really quick to say, oh, go to therapy, sort out your problem, whatever works work for your stuff, right? But it it's not really acknowledged as much. I think that therapy is hard. And I the people that I work with that I get the honor to work with, like I they are the bravest freaking people ever because it's like you are showing up to someone that you don't know relatively well mm-hmm. and you are bearing some really dark, heavy stuff, right? A lot of the time you're working through stuff. And it just takes a lot of bravery to, to step into that and to start that healing process because it's hard work. It's not, it's not, it's not easy. So I just, anybody out there that's in therapy, I just commend you because it's, it is hard. And it is, it, I, I, it's like going to the gym, Yeah, hundred percent, like going to the gym. Like when people first start that journey of its own, like you don't want to go yeah. and you're like sore afterwards. You're like, yeah. why am I doing this? And I'm actually yeah. not good at going to the gym, but like, Something pushed me through therapy, but yeah, yeah. It, but once eventually I, I did learn to love it. I will say yeah. that. So. Yeah. I think obviously I'm a little biased, but <laughs> <laughs> I do think like some of the coolest parts in of therapy is like when you get to experience like those aha moments and those, mm. oh, hey, this wasn't like my fault or I didn't do this. This was something else. This was outside of me or just to, to start feeling taking that blame off of yourself. I think that's some of the biggest shifts I've seen in people. And so cool. Like when you experience those little nuggets of mm-hmm. just that gold that it's like, oh, okay. And then you figure out like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. So, all right. It's hard, but it's worth it. And it's empowering. Let me say that therapy is empowering. So once I started to understand not only why I was the way I was, but also why other people were the way yeah. they were. Me, it was like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's just, I don't know any other word, but empowering. It's like, yes, I understand. I get it. And then I detect it later on. And it just makes it so much easier to deal with those situations. Once you get a really good grasp on the why, not yeah. just the what. Absolutely. I agree. Ah, thank you for sharing those pieces. I appreciate you uh, speaking on that. And yeah, I just want to open the floor up and where you want to start in your story and how you would like to share it with us today. And I'll interject as I can or will, or I don't know. And we'll, <laughs> Please do. Yeah, we'll, we'll just chat about your story. Yeah. Yeah, thank you um, again. Yeah, I, so my story is an interesting one. There's so many, it's like an onion. There's so many layers to it. So the easiest way is I started down my journey of healing when I was, I was probably 21, 20. I remember I had to move away from home, which was essentially like running away from home. I grew up with a very controlling and I don't know if I could throw out terms, but like very narcissistic controlling stepmom. And there's just not a lot of room to be yourself around her. Mm -hmm. So at the time I really didn't know. I thought it was just, this is life. Some people just have really difficult parents. I actually didn't realize what I was dealing with up to that point, uh, especially since my parents fostered kids, which brings a whole nother layer into the mix. And I actually ended up being the foster mom for a lot of those kids because 
she was really doing it for the money at that point. Mm -hmm. And we ended up watching him. So I was like, I need a break. Like I, this, everything about my life was just overwhelming and stressful. So I, I had like $500 packed up and moved to Florida and a family friend. So my best friend's parents actually let me stay with them when I moved down to Florida and got my, got on my feet and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with life. Because up to that point, everything I had done was, I was told what to do, like mm -hmm. where to go to school where I couldn't go to school. I was actually forced to drop out of high school. I did get my GED. Just, I felt I had no independence. And again, I was a very independent person. Like my mind was always like, it's my life. And I'm going to make it what I want to be. So my big dreams pushed me to a separate place. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me at that point. But I noticed like I was struggling with anxiety and I was struggling with these panic attacks. And I also had come down on here on a lot of, see, here's another layer. I'm trying to keep this organized for you guys, but my stepmom had put me on a lot of medication. She has like a Munchausen syndrome going on. So it's with mental health. She, everybody that went through the house. So all the foster kids, all of us had, was diagnosed with something and put on heavy amounts of medication, every single kid. And so I came down to Florida with Seroquel high amounts of it too. And I, I knew I wasn't myself, but I also knew enough to know that these drugs, you can't just stop cold yeah, Turkey. Yeah, absolutely. So when I came down here and, and everybody was told by her, I was severely bipolar, which hindsight, I was dealing with a lot of PTSD. Mm -hmm. So that was being mistaken for that, but I knew myself. And so I went to a psychiatrist and I just laid it all out for this poor woman, because again, psychiatrists, they're not therapists as much as they deal with medicines, but I was like, perfect. I've got somebody to listen to me. I'm going to tell her everything yeah. and maybe she'll help me get off of this. And she was very mm -hmm. nice. She's like, I'm going to help you taper down. Cause she said it was like enough for a grown man with schizophrenia is how she worded it when she saw the list of drugs. And I was like, yeah, she had me on a lot. Mm -hmm. So she helped me taper off. But then she was like, in the meantime, I want you to go to therapy. She's, I can't help you the way that the therapist could. And she gave me this woman's card. And I had at that point, like a bad view of therapist because my stepmom had actually mm. forced me to go to a therapist. She knew mm -hmm. she had dated and who was the one that facilitated the beginning of all these medications. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not going to go, <laughs> but I put the card in a drawer in my bathroom. I'll never forget. And a couple months went by and the panic attacks were getting worse because the medication was what, not what I needed, but it was numbing me. So mm -hmm. it was helping. I don't feel anything at that point. As I was coming off of it, a lot of things I think were coming up. And so I was like, it's either I had to go on some sort of medicine, which at that point, for obvious reasons, I was just against, right. or I work it out. So I found a therapist and it was the woman that card or that give me the, the therapist. Mm -hmm psychiatrist who gave yeah. me the card to the therapist. Sorry. <laughs> I called her and that's been my therapist for eight years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was the best because she really, she opened my eyes to a lot. So I remember like the very first time I walked into her office and I knew at that point, she knew no one I knew, no one I knew. And I just, she said, Hey, how are you? Like just started it. Like, how are you doing? And I just burst out crying. I don't know what it was about the situation, but I just knew at that point, this was somebody who was actually here for me. And she gave this mm -hmm. like very warm vibe and yes, it was the best thing. So she started, I started unloading things to her 
Um, and basically I was like, I just need you to tell me that I'm not crazy. So if my stepmom tries to Baker act me, she can't do it. Cause she did that to my sister. Mm-hmm. And that was my whole goal. I think part like of starting yeah. therapy was to prove I wasn't, you know, what I was being told and to not let my mental health be in control of me. So she, yeah, she started talking about things. And when the first time she said something about abuse, she was like, the abuse you've gone through. And I remember that I was like, well, I haven't really been through abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wasn't even aware I had been through abuse because the foster kids in our house had been through physical abuse and sexual abuse and things like that. So I was like, she never really like, put hands on me. And then my therapist started talking about emotional abuse. And I was like, I've never heard of this before, which like, why I'd never, I, that's when I wish mm-hmm. that a lot of people knew more about emotional abuse yes. is like prevalent yeah. in this country uh, and everywhere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so she explained it to me and then we just started to change my view, I think mm-hmm. of things a little bit so that I could better understand. And as she did, it was like a floodgate opening mm-hmm. of all these memories. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this is. And so I remember like my stepmom came into my life and I was eight years old. She married my dad. They met and six months later got married. So like red flag, number one. And we moved in and she was fine when we first moved in. Like really, I don't know. The first two years were whatever, I guess the bliss, the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. But then her mom lived with her and I think her mom was helped, helped mitigate. So she was, I loved her mom a lot, actually. Her mom was very motherly. So when, her mom actually had a stroke about two years in. So I was about 10 years old and she was paralyzed on one side. And at that point, I wanted to help. I was very independent minded. I was like, I want to help. And so I, at 10 years old, was moved into the mother-in-law suite to take care of her. And I, again, didn't think this was a problem. I was like, sure, I'm happy to help. But like hindsight, should a 10-year-old be taking care of a woman who's had paralyzed on one side of her body? It wasn't good for her. It wasn't good for me. I actually, that was the beginning, I think, of some like some trauma I dealt with. She actually did pass away and I was the one to find her. And I remember that's where everything changed for my stepmom. She started to isolate herself and we started having to do everything that her mom had used to do so she used to do a lot of cleaning and then she hired somebody for a while but then she was like you know what you guys can start to do it so then we started doing a lot more of the chores and I think like about a month after her mom had passed away we got our first set of foster kids Mm -hmm. and that was really the beginning of the end of my childhood. So we started taking care of these kids and she would just go in her room and not come out for days. And we, I think she would really only come out just to make sure that uh, we were alive and we were taking out like 12 years old. Yeah. I think it was 12. Yeah. I just turned 12 Mm -hmm. and yeah, she had us like taking care of a three month old baby who He had, he would have tremors. So he had his own health problems and then his four-year-old sister. So there's two, two kids that came in at first and my sister and I have a biological sister 
we started doing like everything. And then we added two more kids. So there was four kids for us to take care of. And one of the children that was in the second set was really bad off, really bad off. They both had come from some serious abuse of their own. And again, at 12, to be taking care of kids who had gone through this abuse, the, the dynamic was really not healthy in a lot of ways. And we were told basically, this is, you live here, you've got to do your part around here. Like you have to earn your place in the house. And my dad worked night shift. So he really, he would sleep a lot in the day and he wasn't really around. So I lost, I used to live with my grandparents, which then after that point, we weren't really allowed to see them. So I lost my grandparents who were my caretakers, my dad, and I was just stuck being a mom at 12. So once my stepmom realized what my sister and I could do, mm-hmm. we started getting more things added and we had less time to be kids. And I got to the point where I don't even know. It's hard sometimes to explain this to people. I used to try to journal and she would go through my room all the time. And mm-hmm. one time she found the journal and remember she got so angry about the journal and I was like locked in my room for a couple of days, just mm. irrational reaction to somebody like having feelings. And they were about her in all honesty, like I'd written about her because she made me so angry and I didn't know what to do with that anger. And then we got a, a foster kid that was about my age. And I remember I was talking to her about my stepmom and just about things that were off. And she was like, that's not right. She shouldn't treat you that way. And we were just kind of having this conversation. And I remember my stepmom coming in just angry and she like drug me out of the room and they had a closet back where she was and put me in the closet and I was I had to stay there like the rest of the night the next day and I'm like mortified of the dark so it was just a very difficult experience and that began to be my punishment to go in into there and again I'm not registering that this is as bad as it is my dad actually would sleep in this closet because it was dark. So during the day he could sleep in there because there was no light. But then I was, so I was like, if he sleeps in there, it's okay. But I wasn't allowed to leave the closet. Mm-hmm. He could leave the closet. And he actually, I had, I talked about him about that later in life. I was like, she did this. She like locked mm-hmm. me in a closet. And he was like, there was no lock on that door. And I was like, that makes it worse. Like mm. I was so scared to leave. I, but then mm. there wasn't even a lock on the door. So she would, things got really bad at the house. And at one point I started high school, this very rigorous high school. And it was a college preparatory school. I'm actually surprised I was even allowed to go to that. But I did start in a year, the first, my freshman year, I started having a lot of stomach pain. And I didn't know what was going on. And my doctors, oh, it's stress, which I, I believed I was really stressed. And it was, it was getting worse and worse. And I remember one night I started throwing up. It was a weekend, a Saturday night, and I was throwing up so much. And I remember just, they were out in the, the family room where there was a TV watching a movie. And my sister was out there and I started throwing up. So she went and got my stepmom and, um, She's uh, she just has a stomach bug. She's fine. And I'm like, no, I'm like dying. I was pretty positive. I was dying. My stomach hurt more than I could ever explain to anybody. And 
yeah, she just like, just stay in there and stop being dramatic. That was our common theme in the house. Don't be dramatic. And I, I remember the whole night I laid by the toilet. My sister actually laid out a towel for me to lay on and she would check on me. But yeah, they, she tried to give me some water. I couldn't even keep it down. And eventually I did stop and I went to school on Monday and I was telling my friends about it. And they're like, she should take me to the doctor. And I was like, mm. I guess it was just a stomach bug. And I, my one friend, she recognized the situation enough to say, if you need to, my mom will take you. And I was like, no. And I was afraid of getting in trouble. Right, I was like, right. don't tell anybody because I'll get in trouble if I tell you this. And so the following week. Throwing up is completely in your control. <laughs> and you know what? That's the funny thing. Don't yeah. be dramatic. And I'm just like, just don't bother me essentially is what she was saying. I can't be bothered with you. And I was never sick either, which is also like another indicator. Like if your kid's never sick and then all of a sudden, like for 24 hours. So yeah, the next weekend I started back up throwing up again. And I remember also, oh yeah, I, I showed my friend, there was like a bulge in my stomach. And that's where she said, I think you should go to a doctor. And I was like, you would think <laughs> I don't go away on its own is what I was thinking in my head. But then that following week and I started throwing up again and it was really, it was so bad that and then my dad, I don't remember what, where he was the weekend before what was going on, why he wasn't coming out. But this weekend he came out and I remember him, there was like, I have this vivid memory of him standing there and me looking at him and I was like pleading, help me please. So my dad loved us. I don't ever doubt his love, but he was very, for lack of better words, like spineless, whatever she wanted, he did. Mm -hmm. But I was like, please help me. And so he, he got Pepto-Bismol and there's just the scene of him holding up Pepto-Bismol and looking at me and then her going, I was a paramedic. She's fine. And I'm like telling my dad to leave me alone. And at that point I thought I'm going to die. Like I truly thought I was going to die. And I said to her, if you don't take me to the doctor, I will call 911 because I have got to get help. Yeah. And she said, we'll take you Monday. So this is Saturday night. So I went and I didn't stop throwing up that weekend. In fact, we went to the doctor's office of me throwing up. And I remember him looking at her furious. And he was like, what are you doing here? Go to the ER. Mm. And that started this very long saga of, I have Crohn's. And they found out I had Crohn's. And it was a really bad case. And this bulge on my stomach was actually an obstruction in my mm. bowels. So that's why nothing was, I couldn't eat. Everything was coming up. Mm -hmm. So I had to end up, we went on and off on chemo and other drugs, nothing was working. So they finally had to do surgery and I, the surgery, they messed up. So I ended up getting what's called peritonitis where the infection is in the peritoneal cavity in your, your stomach oh where it shouldn't be. And I got, I went septic. And I almost died. I spent two weeks in ICU. And one of those, I was actually in a coma. And then I spent about 18 weeks that summer in the hospital of them trying to fix it. Because to treat like peritonitis, you increase the immune system. To treat Crohn's, you decrease it. So they were in this battle of what do we do with Sarah? <laughs> this is where my stepmom's Munchausen came from. She loved the attention. She was just loving every second of it. I I remember she was posting about it on Facebook constantly and I'm just laying there and I hated it. Even to this day, if I'm sick, I don't want anybody to talk about it. I don't want people to visit me. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was just on display for the world and I was having people come and visit me. And I was like, so embarrassed of even how I looked. 
at one point I had feeding tubes and tubes coming out of my stomach and an ostomy and she's just everybody comes I felt like a spectacle a sideshow or something and then I started getting like irritable in the hospital I remember obviously I was like dealing with um, psychosis so they started me on psych drugs and that was the beginning of that abuse and they were there for good reasons I I fully (laughs) am aware that I should have been on something and it definitely helped me clearly I was going through a lot but remember I didn't go off of them after that and I like Mm -hmm. I just continued to up those doses and add more on instead of she was traumatized (laughs) maybe we should take her to therapy and deal with it and so I eventually they did I did get better that's a whole other story (laughs) but I did get better and I remember it's just like I went home and then two weeks okay back to work that was it yeah. She's like, you can't wallow in this forever. So just get back to work. You need to recover after I almost died. Oh. I, the, the mental part, I was so gaslit. I was made to believe I was crazy for mm-hmm. being traumatized. No one was telling me you're dealing with severe PTSD right now. Yeah. And I was forced to drop out of high school at that point. I didn't want to drop out. She wanted me to. And I actually do remember she was telling the doctors all these things and they, she would always elaborate and, and make things worse, over-dramatize. And so they were like, well, maybe she can't go back to school. And she, yeah, I don't think she'll ever be able to go to school again. And she's like, it's okay, Sarah, you can go on disability and you can live with me forever. And right there, I was like, oh no, this is not going to happen. So I, I did, I basically didn't allow myself to even mourn that. Because I was like, it's true though. If I wallow in this, then I wallow in this. And then I don't have that motivation to push past Mm -hmm. this. So I put up a nice big wall around that experience. That is still to this day up. And I'm trying to break it down. I just started EMDR just trying to break that wall down. But that's how I eventually ended up in Florida. I kept having, so the drugs kept getting higher dosed and more added on and I was just like, it's not a way to live anymore. Mm-hmm. And I knew after 18, I could do what I wanted to, and she couldn't stop me. The only fear was the, she, like I said, she had Baker acted others in our family. So I was afraid of that, but that was the whole point of getting a therapist. And so I moved to Florida and I got my therapist and she really did help me turn things around. I really was able to see the abuse I'd gone through and understand what it does to you as a person. I never, especially in the South, I don't know if many people know what the Southern mindset is. It's literally like cowboy up, get over it. Suck you it up. Suck yep, it up, buttercup. <laughs> exactly. If you're not bleeding, a bone isn't popping through, you're fine. Yep. Yep. And while part of that, I, I like to say, I guess it part of it played a, a good part. Yeah, sure. I, I was able to get down here, but you, yeah. it's not like you can just turn that mindset off. Yeah. It took eight years and mm-hmm. I was still working on that actually. But yeah, I think that was the best thing that I, my therapist was able to show me was there is a reason why these things mm-hmm. are the way they are. It isn't actually, there's obvious reasons why maybe you have some of these swings because you're being triggered yeah. by something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was some of my story in a nutshell. Yeah. One, some of the things that really stood out to me as you were sharing is that anytime anyone experiences anything like that, like 
you, you only know what you know, right? Like you only Mm -hmm. know the life that you're aware of. And so, oh, like the part that you shared about the closet. Oh, it's okay. Like my dad sleeps in here, like trying to kind of reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like about, but that's because that's that's what you knew. That's what was, this is now normal. And kids, God, kids are so freaking resilient and they do though. They take in whatever they're given. And so just, I, I, one of the, the main things that I heard so much in your story was that you were so resilient through all of that. And you just, you, you made it through to the other side to be able to get yourself back to you, right? Like you mm-hmm. shared like this medication piece that just clouded you and I just said yeah we don't know what we don't know essentially and uh, wrap it up in a bow like we we don't know what we don't know um so if you experience a household like that you you tend to think that it is normal because you don't know anything else and then that's another thing like as in my younger years I so part of me assumed like that this was a type of normal. I knew that it wasn't the same as like my other friends, but I was also like, but we all have our own issues. Maybe it's just a little bit more annoying in my house that you, you, like you said, you rationalize it. And I think that's also your mind trying to cope with it because if I registered how bad it was, who knows? And then I, I think so I'll just talk about some of the things in therapy that have helped is that inner family work like yeah. that, the younger child, me. So mm. I remember the first time my therapist was like, okay, if 10 year old, you were sitting over there, I was like, what in the world is she talking about? I get that look a lot when I bring that one up. <laughs> I, know. I was like, she's not over there. I'm right here. What are you talking about? Yes. But you know what? I, as I've gotten to understand the concept, it makes so much sense. Like you have to heal those stages of your life. And I think that's been really helpful for me because you don't like you break down your whole life into certain, especially like people who have been through what I've been through. A lot of disassociating are are clear parts of my life that I thought if I just healed the me now, I'll be fine. But it's been very helpful to go back and work through each of those phases and there's phases I can't even tap into yet but my goal is to get there so yeah it comes with time and it's a journey and I think healing and grief like they're never linear right it is all over the place and it's okay to take it one step at a time and to figure out what what feels good right now or what feels tolerable or comfortable or whatever comfort in the uncomfortable but yeah and also for those that maybe don't know what she's referring to is like often therapists will say I want you to envision like that age of you in front of you so like her 10 year old self would be sitting there and I I typically like to have people have like a conversation of what would you be able to offer that 10 year old now that maybe they didn't get back then or do they need a hug or what meeting that 10 year old where they need to be met because there's always parts of us that experience the the crap along the way and don't get the attention that we need to have them get and just allowing that part of you to heal so thank you for bringing that up because I I think that's really valuable healing work yes and yeah I know it was probably about four years in until that was even brought up to me because I knew she knew me (laughs) I was gonna be like why are you talking about but no I for any providers out there it is very helpful from a person on the other side it's very helpful to after you fully understand the why yes yeah at, at first it's like what are you 
<laughs> yes. And you know what? I think the thing that she said to me that actually made me it click mm-hmm. was we were talking about one of those things in the past. And I have, I made one of my dismissive comments. Yeah. She was like, okay, but if you now at your age could walk in to her at that mm-hmm. age and save her, would you go in and dismiss what you, like you just did with me? Right. Or would you stand up for her mm-hmm. like she deserved? And that was like, yeah. yeah. And I've actually done that to myself. Like I put myself in a situation in my mind and I went in there and I stuck yes, it to Absolutely. Oh, that's good. And that empowerment that you were talking about, that is so important. I, I heard a lot of another theme in your story. And, and in I think every trauma story is that we don't have control, right? We mm-hmm. um, have a lack of control. And sometimes the people that are doing that are very evidently doing that on purpose or whatever and so in that instances of when you don't have that control taking back your power and finding those ways that you can be empowered into yourself are so important and so healing uh, mm-hmm. because it, it starts to undo the trauma it starts to undo the mess right yeah I think the empowerment factor actually if I could probably say what's the most important journey is that because I also had for a long time, like I didn't want to, I hate the word forgive, especially when it comes to these mm-hmm. situations, you just need to forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. Now I don't like that. There's no forgive and forget for me, but there is a certain level of what's best for me is to be able to, to release that from myself. Mm-hmm. And I struggled for years with her still very much being in every asset or aspect of my mind because mm-hmm. I couldn't release that. And that releasing actually came from my understanding of why she was the way she was. So I knew about her history and I knew that there was, she had experienced trauma and it did not, and this is a struggle. And, and honestly, when I talked to, to my sister, she's not in her healing journey where I am. So she's just begun recently. And this concept of her is angering, but, and it was to me at one point, but now it's, I can understand why someone is maybe coming the way they are, it gives me a sense of power. Mm-hmm. Like what, now, if I have those thoughts in my head, it's almost like I had controlled situation rather than she has controlled situation because yeah. it makes that person more human and less like God yeah. complex. Yeah. And then it's helped me in other areas. So I think I love the why, why do certain people behave the way they do? And I mm-hmm. loved abnormal psychology. And I was just like, when school, I thrived in that class because I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just narrowed down uh, why so many therapists become therapists. <laughs> I started out I'm, at some point in time, sure. this obsession with understanding. Now, why did they do that? Why did they think that? Why did they act that way? So. Yes, I respect therapists because I, it did cross my mind at one point to become a therapist and because I do love it, but I also know myself and I'm like, but this is how I did it. And this is what worked. And this is the only way to do it. And that's not the case. <laughs> um, so I'm self-aware enough to say that, but for those of you who can separate, props to you guys. Thank you. So I want to make sure um, before we transition, is there anything else that you want to share or to really hone in on that you feel like we didn't yet? I will say this. I, I didn't even say like really the end. I was able to actually like 
to go get my a degree mm-hmm. and I was able to land like my dream job recently. Mm-hmm. I finally got to this point of financial stability. I just got married. Mm-hmm. And I think I say all that to say, I'm sure a lot of therapists have had cases that didn't end that way. But the that the fact that my therapist did see my potential. In fact, I, this is another thing I didn't even say. She gave me about, and I know this can't be done for everybody. I think she really saw my story um, and my desire to heal. But she did give me about two years of therapy for free. And I think it's important for you you all to know that there's a lot of us who do come out on the other side. And I just would like to represent that group of people because I am sure not everybody gets to see the other side, um, but if you can stick it out with somebody and if they're willing, I I hope that you all can see the help you do. Thank you. I love that you shared that. And yeah, and I I think that's really valuable too for other trauma survivors to hear, right? Is to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope and that it doesn't have to be pain and darkness all the time and I appreciate you sharing that from a therapist perspective because you're right sometimes we don't get to know the end of the story and it is uh, good to hear people say that and for you to say that so thank you yes absolutely yeah happy to so we are going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment so I wanted to take a quick pause to share with you a few resources So if you are looking for ways to find more grounding and more mindfulness into your daily life and with real actionable steps, I've developed a workbook that will walk you through developing this skill. It comes from a trauma-informed lens. So if you've tried mindfulness before and you felt like it was more triggering than useful, you could have been actively dealing with a trauma response. So this workbook is designed for trauma survivors. And more than that, it gives you actionable steps and it's packed with information. So whether your schedule looks like a stay-at-home caregiver, whether you're someone who works a nine-to-five or something else entirely, there's something in this workbook for you. So you can head over to soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast. You can subscribe for our newsletter where you'll get reminders once a month about new content and an email with that free workbook. Again, that link is soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash podcast, and you can find that link in the show notes. If you are enjoying this episode, and I truly hope that you are, if you think that it might be useful for someone else, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform or on podchaser.com, because that is the best way to get the word out about this podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to work with me and you live in either Arizona or Florida, I now have openings for EMDR intensive sessions. These are sessions that are longer than your standard 50-minute therapy session and can really help you reach a place of grounding and healing from past trauma quicker than the standard talk therapy session once per week. So if you'd like to find out more about this, I invite you to set up a free 15-minute consultation where we can chat about if this type of work is right for you. Uh, It is also a great accompaniment for if you are already working with a therapist and you're having a hard time breaking through some kind of block or trauma response or trauma trigger. You can go to soulmission-emdrtherapy.com slash contact, which will be in the show notes. All right, let's get back to today's episode. We are back with Sarah Pinter and we are in the section of our show that's called Providers Aren't Robots. 
And I think this is an important part of the show because it really humanizes us as providers. When we first people come to see providers, a lot of times it's that you live in a little perfect bubble. And I think that it's important that we break that down too, because providers are human too. And so in this section of the show, I really just want to know an instance or a time that you want to share that you went to a provider and you felt seen and you also saw them and that you felt good. Great question. So I will say this over my time with my, I, I will sing her praises, my current therapist. I, there's been a couple, actually, I'm going to give two, maybe three uh, times that I just remember that really helped. And by the way, I will also say, say this. And props to her for being able to carry on an eight-year journey with someone and mm-hmm. remaining very professional. So I, I still to this day, um, like she, she's just maintained very much professionalism, and um, I, I'm grateful because I know if someone gets too attached, then it's not as is not as helpful. But there have been a couple times I remember just feeling very seen, and that was very important to me. Words of affirmation are my love language, funny enough, um, I, and so I remember. One time I was telling her a story, uh, something that was happening, and she started to tear up. I, I don't think I've ever really seen it, but maybe two times. And actually, it helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it was like, oh my gosh, like she feels for me. She actually is hearing what I'm saying, and it is resonating with her. Mm-hmm. So if you ever have that happen, do not feel like, oh my goodness, I'm like being unprofessional or whatever. I don't know what your training or whatever is, but I really appreciated that moment. I really mm-hmm. was like, wow, I, I do feel seen. And this the second time was I was graduating, which the biggest accomplishment of my life at that point, this is the only graduation I ever got to go to. Mm-hmm. And I was getting my degree in nuclear medicine, huge deal. I gave her an invite to my graduation because I wanted her to see, you know, again, like what hard work had really helped me to do. And she actually came to that graduation and it just meant the world to me. Mm -hmm. So I will so grateful for her. And then the third one is for the psychiatrist. I, she was so kind. She did not stop me. She did not Mm -hmm. shut me down for what I was saying to her. Oh, that's not my area. She heard me. She listened to me. She validated me like, oh no, like she's very much engaged in what I was saying. And then after all of that, she didn't dismiss me by making me feel like embarrassed by telling her all that. She was like, I think what you are saying is very important and it's something that you really you have a right to to feel upset about. And though my area is in medication, I do want to recommend you to this person who might be able to help you a little bit more in that area. So I really just like that approach as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on something I think is super important. And I've talked with other therapists to a certain degree on this show about and because as a therapist, at least in my particular training, I was very much taught of this is your therapist box. This is how you sit. This is how you talk. This is your hat. This is what you do. And it has taken me many years to break out of that and to embrace my own personality within my hand. But also there is like that, I think, became the rule of some for training because a lot of therapists 
potentially were not ethical and cross boundaries too often. And you shared an instance earlier that I, <laughs> not your therapist, obviously, but the, yeah. the other one. And all of that to say, yes, these kind of parameters are there for a reason. Like boundaries are there for a reason. Professionalism is there for a reason because we want you to be able to heal and to move forward um, with your life. And we're not robots. Like we're not like this prepackaged therapist that came from a box. Like that doesn't exist. Like we're humans. We have our own history. We have our own traumas. We have our own stuff underneath the surface. And I'm happy that you shared those examples that you did because <laughs> her showing up and being human and, and showing you that level of like being impacted by your story and really hearing you, I think is so important. And so often I think therapists like stifle it down or stifle their reaction to try and be like a blank slate that we've been taught is supposed to be the way and balance and everything. But just yeah. thank you for, for sharing that because I think that's so important for uh, clients and for therapists to hear. I just think it's important. Yes. And and that's why I did preface it by saying we've <laughs> had eight years of her just being yeah. so but yes, I think just every once in a while, yeah. it does. I don't think she's a robot. I see her as not a robot that way. That really does. And I know, I'm sure like you can't go to every, I'm sure there's also parameters around the graduation, but she also knew that I, yeah. my family was not going to be there. It, Yeah. I think yeah. she really reads the room very well when it comes yeah. to those things. And that's important. Yeah, Absolutely. So moving on to the trauma tip for our episode today. So this is something that I always like to share on every episode. So that way, whoever is listening can walk away with something that they can put in action today in their own healing journey. This could be something that you have just felt has been really helpful in your own healing journey. Just anything that you would want, like any human being on planet Earth to know, hey, if you have trauma and you're experiencing stuff, like maybe this could help. Yeah. Uh, so I have, again, I'm going to give you two things here. Sorry. Yeah, no, um, I love it. It depends on where you're at in your trauma journey, I think, because if you are living it at the very moment, yeah. my tip for you would be this. I believe, and I know people call them a lot of things, dream boards, manifestation, whatever you want to call it. I think it's so important to make a plan for yourself mm. outside of the trauma that you're dealing with, whatever it may be. I, and I remember in my hospital bed, planning my apartment out and I mirrored my first apartment after what I had seen in my head in that wow. hospital bed, just to prove a point to myself. And I know people, again, people call it manifestation. I think the mind is so powerful though. Yeah. So if you're in it, plan that outside of the trauma, what you want, and you will work towards it. And it's so important to do that because if you get caught up in it, sometimes you lose yourself and mm -hmm. it's so important just not to lose yourself. In the, and it's hard. I know it's hard, but that's why I say that to plan that life for what you want it to be, not what mm -hmm. others are telling you it has to be. Yeah. And my second thing is if you are on the other side of it, like you said earlier, I'm so glad you said this. It's not linear. Mm -hmm. You will regress. You will go back. And that is so normal. I, I think the first time it happened, I remember saying to my therapist, I worked so hard and I'm just back to square one. And I thought I was going to have to go through all that work again to get back. And she, she said the exact same phrase. It's not linear. It, this happens and it's okay. You're not going all the way back. The growth that you've done is still there. Yep. 
but you can allow yourself to have those times. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're quote unquote crazy or it doesn't mean you're quote unquote broken. It just means you're human. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It just means you're human. Cause that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> and something I would like to add to that too I hear a lot of the times from people that it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't in the last three months, last six months, last year, and last two, whatever. I'm not where I thought I was going to be, or I'm not where I want to be. Because as humans, we can be really short-sighted sometimes. And I I do this too. I know from a good place. (laughs) But I, what I have found very helpful myself and also for other clients is in those moments when you find yourself back in a place where you didn't think you were going to be here again, mm-hmm. or when you're questioning, God, I've been working so hard. Why am I further? Um, looking at the last three months, six months, year, whatever, and almost break it down like a reverse bucket list of mm-hmm. these are the things that I've accomplished. These are the things that I've worked hard at. These are the things that I can do now where before it wasn't even like a thought that I could do it and really starting to see this is how much change you've experienced. This is how much work you've done. And this is the good stuff that's there all due to you, right? Because it's all because you're doing something to change something. So that way you can see it, right? Because sometimes we just get so narrow visioned in that of I should be here already, or I should do this or whatever that looks like. And it's good to see how far we've come. And sometimes that's hard to to see when we're living in the moment or we're trying to live in the future. Absolutely. Okay. One more thing on that. I I just had this last year. I was again, feeling like I was going backwards in in my, my, my journey or my growth. And then I had to stop and say, yeah, again, where, what all have you accomplished? Just look around, be proud of yourself and own it. And then realize that you're, you're so much better than you tell yourself because you're so, we're all hard on ourselves. We're all going to be like super hard and critical of ourselves. Our own worst critic. <laughs> yes, yes, we gotta work on that. <laughs> in therapy. <laughs> yes, in therapy, which I do. Yeah, every yeah. other week. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's good stuff. All right. So our final fact, and sometimes funny questions that I like to end the show with, just because it's a fun way to wrap things up. Where would you go if you could visit any place on Earth? Oh man. Yeah. Okay. I just got to go there. Oh, that's right. You were telling me that. Yes. It was on my dream board, my manifestation, if you will. I always plan to go to Greece. Mm. And that the first chance I got, I hopped on a plane and I went all through the aisles of Greece and I loved every second of it. Mm. Was it just amazing? It was truly, I like spent half the time like crying my husband was like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's just a really real moment for me. <laughs> I took about a hundred pictures that I posted. Now I took about a thousand, but I posted a hundred pictures. I was just so proud of that trip. And I, yes, that's my next bucket list place that I do want to go. And I do plan on going is Egypt. I oh, think that would be so yeah. fun. I've seen way too many movies where Mindy Jones. Or- <laughs> I get it. I feel that. <laughs> it just looks so so cool there and so different. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I will have to vicariously live through you and your pictures. <laughs> yes. If I go to oh Egypt my again, I will. Yes. I, again, thing. Matthew, I had to take about a hundred pictures today and I'm like, yes. And make it a hundred and one. That's right. hundred and one. Got a captured moment. <laughs> yes. <Right>. Yes. <laughs> Could pineapple be on pizza? No. 
No, okay. Pineapple I've had a lot of yeses so salad. far. I'm excited. A pineapple should be in a fruit salad. <laughs> I've tried. I've really tried very hard, but I can't get it. That is okay. It's not for everyone. I'm a pineapple pizza lover, but as I've shared on many an episode so far, I like, oddly enough, cold pineapple on warm pizza. I don't know why. I think uh, it's great. I You're probably like, that's disgusting. <laughs> I yes. would rather it be cold. There is something about warm pineapple in general I don't like. So when people like yeah. put it on chicken, not yeah, no. Yeah, I don't like it being warm. It's not my favorite then, but meh. Yeah, I remember the phase of pineapple on pizza going around and everybody loved it. And I stood firm on that one. That's so <laughs> funny. Like, and yeah. will not go down with this sinking <laughs> shit. I will not do this. Great. <laughs> uh, what makes you feel inspired or motivated in continuing to spread awareness surrounding mental health and trauma? I don't know if this is, I, I've always felt like I wanted to make something, everything that I went through like mm. something good out of it. I like what the saying beauty from ashes, because I, though it was very hard, I'm thankful to my old self for everything it went through mm. because I wouldn't be where I am today without that. So I, I think it's just, yeah, I, I, I want to make sure that others can see that mm. and be inspired. But yeah, that's why. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. And I love that you shared like that you're thankful to that past self for going through and, and, pushing through and doing all the things that you did because that's so beautiful yes yeah that's something I had to work on too is to that gratitude from the past but yes uh what is one thing that people are generally surprised to find out about you (laughs) I love to do the two truths and a lie that I'm a high school dropout Oh, <laughs> like that's one of my okay. truths, and yeah. I did it at a work conference, and then I had to preface. I did get my GED because clearly sure, <laughs> I needed sure. a degree for that job. But yeah, yeah, that was something that nobody will ever believe. So that is funny. I like that. What does one simple moment of pure joy look like for you? Oh, man, I will say just sitting on my couch, mm. my husband and my dog. And just feeling like I don't have to do anything. Mm. Like that's something that I did not get a lot growing up of just being able to sit and relax. And I still, to this day, am always grateful mm. to think about that. That's your relaxation moment. Yeah. Yes. Or mm. you're just like, I have what I created for myself. I love that. And you've worked so hard at it. So thank you for sharing bits of your journey, bits of your story with us. And I think it's, again, it's just so important that we talk more about this type of stuff and we really peel back the layers because more people need to know that again this is not a normal whatever thing that you have to stay in or struggle in this is not how life has to be um but that there is more out there and that you can build a life that you that you want so thank you so much yes i plan to continue on telling it because i I do feel like it's should be talked about more yeah shout it from the rooftop write a book yes write a book Yay! <laughs> soon six months oh <laughs> uh, yeah so whenever you do finish that process please let me know and I will update the show notes to include a link for that so more people can just know and, and have hope and again start to move out of trauma because that's what we're here for thank you so much for joining me today on moving out of trauma 
If you like today's episode and you think it might be useful for someone else, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform or on podchaser.com. And if you have any questions at all, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find me over on Instagram at soulmission underscore EMDR therapy or on Facebook at soulmissionemdrtherapy. If you'd like, please stay tuned for the visualization exercises coming up next to transition to the next part of your day. And remember, you did not choose trauma and you can choose your path towards healing. This is Moving Out of Trauma. So I just want to invite you to find a comfortable position and to make sure that you're doing this exercise somewhere uh, safe, somewhere where you feel um, that you can take a few moments for yourself um, and definitely not while you're driving. So we're going to start with the container activity and then move into the calm state place. So it's good to have a secure place where you can store memories and issues and and things that may need still some work, Um, but also maybe you don't need to focus on them right at this point. So if you think about it almost like cleaning up the files on your desktop computer, so you can just feel a little bit less overwhelmed and focus a little bit more efficiently. Files are in a safe place. You can access them the next time that you need to. So to start creating this container, I'd like you to imagine some kind of container or storage system that can securely hold as much as you need it to for as long as you need it to until you're ready to work on it again. So this container can be something you imagine. It could be something that's real. We just wanna make sure that this container has a lid, or some type of secure closure. So that way there's a way to take things out only when you want to. Now it's important to note, we don't wanna put people in containers, but we can put memories and feelings and any kind of situations. So take a moment and really think about what that container might look like. Notice how the container feels. Notice how it feels that it's there for you, should you choose to use it, or when you choose to use it. And now, if you need to use that container, I want you to picture allowing whatever needs to go in there to take its place in there. This can happen slowly. This can happen quickly. However it needs to happen, it's okay. Just allow the pieces, the memories, the thoughts, the feelings, the situation, whatever it is, to just slowly take its place into that container. Now, once you feel like the things that need to be in the container are in there, I want you to close that container Some people like to imagine that there's a lock there or some kind of secured closure beyond just a a lid. So if you like, you can go ahead and lock that. And then just imagine it kind of taking its place back into wherever it needs to be. So this could be a place that you think of in your home. 
This could be an imaginary place, wherever it is. Just some place that we know that it's there when we need it. And now we're going to transition to that calm state change place. So this is a really good activity to develop a couple of ways to feel more calm and secure without really needing to rely on something or someone external than us. So one way we can do this to create this type of place that you can visit internally whenever you want, kind of like having an instant mini vacation on demand. So see if you can think of a place where you might feel a sense of calm or a sense of well-being. You can imagine a place that's similar to one that you've experienced or heard about or read about. It's best not to use a specific memory with people, though, from your own history. So some people like to think of the beach or the woods, mountains, maybe someplace they feel cozy. So just notice this place. Notice what you hear. Notice what you smell. Look around, what do you see? What do you feel? Maybe either the temperature, the time of day, even down to how you feel in your body as you imagine yourself in this place. Really just allowing yourself to soak up every single positive part of this place. The way it looks, the things that you hear, the things that you smell, the things that you might be able to touch, any textures or temperatures, and really encapsulating what you feel in your body as you're in this place, as long as it feels good and calm and a place of centeredness. Now knowing that this place is always available to you because it is within you. It's a place of your very own making. A place that you can return anytime you need. Whether it's for quick deep breaths, returning the center, or maybe even winding down for the evening. This place is always here for you. this recording is going to finish, but if you'd like to stay in this place a while longer, you're certainly more than welcome to do so. And I hope that you'll join me next time on Moving Out of Trauma. Thank you so much for joining me today on Moving Out of Trauma. 
If you'd like today's episode and you think it might be useful for someone else, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform or on podchaser.com. And if you have any questions at all, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find me over on Instagram at soulmission underscore EMDR therapy or on Facebook at soulmission EMDR therapy. If you'd like, please stay tuned for the visualization exercises coming up next to transition to the next part of your day. And remember, you did not choose trauma and you can choose your path towards healing. This is moving out of trauma.